Several times in my life, I've had the good fortune to spend time in tropical and semi-tropical parts of the world. Galapagos, Ecuador, Costa Rica, Belize. Uh, I've stopped a couple of times in Colombia. Uh, So this kind of of interest to me, I hope you kind of appreciate it. Tropical forests are an important part of the global carbon cycle because they take up and store large, large amounts of carbon dioxide. Because of this, deforestation in the tropical regions and other tropical forests like the Amazon is a major contributor to the growing CO2 levels in our atmosphere. Ability of the tropical forest to sequester carbon. It turns out this is not such a simple matter. A new study by the International Institute for Applied Systemic Analyses sought to determine how much detail about a tropical forest is needed in order to make valid assumptions about the strength of its forest carbon sinks. They looked at the role of both biotic factors, differences between plant species that are responsible for capturing more or less carbon from the atmosphere and abiotic factors, those being local environmental factors, like soil properties that also influence the carbon sink strength. It is generally assumed that more diverse forest communities capture available resources more efficiently as a result of complementary characteristics and preferences of certain species to specific conditions. Factors like soil texture and chemistry are also important. In general, the results show that abiotic and abiotic factors interact with one another to determine how much carbon can be stored by any given particular ecosystem. Traditional projections of the role of tropical forests in storing carbon mostly rely on remote sensing techniques that integrate over large spatial areas. The new study shows that there can be large differences in the carbon storing ability of tropical forests and that more detailed models are needed to produce more accurate projections for us to work with in the future. Because of the time I've spent in some of these more tropical areas, I do have a special feeling and a special relationship with them. For those that have never been there, I'm almost sorry for you because it's a fascinating place. And if you ever saw it, I think your your dedication to saving it would be far greater than it is as we become more and more isolated. Nobody's fault here, folks. It's just happening and we got to live through this like we've lived through a lot of other stuff. We even become further uh, disconnected with that part of the world that is really so important to us. And again, as I always say, for the progeny after us, we can't forget that. They think, and I don't know if it's this is true, I, it's jumping. The faster we go, the faster we get. We may hit 9 billion people by the end of this year, the end of 2020, on this earth. 9 billion, folks. We we're at 7 billion back with just in months of when I started talking about this on a regular basis. Think about it. Think of the air. Think of the pollution. Think of the food we need. We need to get a grip which, again, at this time in the last two or three years is absolutely ridiculous, on what's going on on our earth. This administration that's in has canceled about 75 laws that protected our water, our air, uh, everything that we have to live by, uh, even protecting our rivers. 
not just the water itself, but then there's a number of companies now that can pour, I hate to have a crass word, but crap in the river and have no answer for it anymore. There is no, hey, I dirtied it. Somebody else can clean it for us. We have got to get over this. We have got to start taking care of our aquarium, folks. I probably talk about this a little bit each week, but it's it's of dire importance to our next generations. I'm kind of here. I plan on living here another decade or so, but it's really our children and our children's children that's going to pay for our stupidity, going to pay for us allowing this to happen while it's under our watch, not theirs. I guess I should mention I'm kind of on my bandwagon this week. This is the week of Earth Day. Earth Day, when I'm, I'm recording this on a Thursday. Earth Day was yesterday. I will probably do most of this show on uh, what we should have done that we didn't and what we did do that is helped. You know, there was dire, dire uh, predictions way back, some of which came true, some of which we were able to, uh, at least for the time being, uh, assimilate and take care of. So, but we can't quit. This isn't something that you just quit tomorrow. We have got to consider just what our role is and being a part of what it's going to take to keep this world livable, hopefully better, although it's beginning to be doubtful, for our children than the way it was when we were born. listening still to Organic Matters, but let's get to a subject that we try to talk about every week. This is supposedly Organic Matters, originally only a gardening show. We sort of spread it out a little bit. Uh, It's all about organic living and gardening, doing things naturally, doing it with Mother Nature, not against her. The job of planting, whether it's flowers or food you're going to eat, is to work with nature. Ah, Organic Matters. But this time of year, Excellent time to consider pruning. Now, I don't think pruning very seldom is ever actually good for the plant. Not necessarily bad, but you prune for you. If there's a limb too low where you get out of your car, this is the time to look and take it off. One reason I like to prune this time of year is because you can see all the structures of the trees that have lost the leaves, at least, the crepe myrtles and the others. A good time to selectively go in there and prune. Now, I'm a dead set against uh, what I call crepe murder, and it seems I've been pretty much all over this part of the country, all the way to the East Coast, and I've never seen a state that does more crepe murder than this part of the hill country here and out in West Texas. What I mean by that is they take a crepe myrtle and cut it all the way off to sticks practically, and then it all bunches out in the spring, but it doesn't look totally natural at all. You can overdo it to the point that you've actually harmed the tree, but it's, I don't know if it's just the lazy method of doing it or why, but I've never seen it more common uh, than, than this part of the country. Uh, the other one is you can do, though, those little balls, the little seeds that are ending, they do claim if you trim those out after the season's over, it does seem to uh, cause the tree to maybe even put on a few more flowers and, and be a little bit more profuse in its blooming next spring. Some of your other plants, like Esperanza, I wait. It doesn't look real good sitting out there naked, you know, some of it's six feet tall. But you don't know, depending on the winter and and what happens from now till spring, uh, you may get an even bigger, better bush. But I always wait till I see those first little green sprouts coming out on their own. Then a cut, cut above and then around that. You can just cut them back to the ground. Some people like that. They bush out in some ways better. 
I happen to like them as tree form, especially some of the new ones because they bloom, gosh, way longer. There used to be one good bloom and it's done. Some of the new ones it blooms almost constantly during good weather. Some of the other bushes you have out, like xylosma in them, you could just trim them as necessary. Uh, again, don't get in a big hurry. Until now, I even ex- ask most of my people not to trim too early. You get a, uh, like we did a few weeks ago, a pretty early freeze, and we get a bunch of stuff frozen back, and they immediately want to trim it. Well, then it gets two weeks of 70-degree weather in the daytime or so, and those, those plants want to put out again. So then when it freezes again, now you've used a lot of that energy on growth that's just uh, not going to make it t- until next spring. So be a little bit more careful with that. It's a great time, incidentally, to plant trees. Trees come either bald and burlapped, bare-rooted, or in containers. Uh, Of late, the last decade or more, in the container is by far the most popular, and I've done them all three ways, and I really do have better luck with those that come in pots. Uh, There's pros and cons both ways. The bad part of the ones that comes in pots, if the grower has not been efficient, they may have put too much root in that pot before they increase the size of it. So that gives you a little bit more of a problem with the roots. But if you're, if you're careful at that, it, it, you seem to get it. The more roots you get, the better off and the quicker your plant will recover. So I prefer the containerized over and above the um, bald and burlap and especially the bare root plants. Incidentally, because you're here in the background here too, I'm doing my shows these days out of doors. And uh, so I got uh, a bird of my own and a bird's hanging out. And sometimes you'll hear some chickens. Uh, I used to say that was a problem, but it's, uh, I don't have much of a choice. And uh, it doesn't affect me badly. I hope it doesn't bother you. It won't be too noisy or I'll cut it out. And before I leave uh, the idea of pruning, uh, do think about it, even in your crepe myrtles. But I try to go in and especially cut out those branches that rub on one another. I don't know how healthy or unhealthy it is. I just don't like the way it looks. And, of course, if you've got any of these trees, whether it's crepe myrtle or something else, and they're hanging over your roof or over your house, this is the time to cut them back so they don't get scraped on your roof, especially if you have a a built-up roof. Uh, Don't get into your gutters. And, of course, anywhere they're blocking walkways and drives. So if you'll just take care of those few things, uh, this is sort of uh, winter gardening. The one other thing I I would like to mention is you do need to water occasionally. Some people just don't water all winter, and in some winters that's okay, but just realize that plants go through cold stress times when we have them much better if they're properly hydrated. So a regular occasional um, good soaking, if we haven't had rain for a while, will make your plants much, well, you won't know they're happier at the time. Remember, they've still got roots down there. We don't freeze here underground. So they're, they're putting on some growth. You just not see it above the ground. So they require a little bit of water and a little bit of patience. And if you'll just remind yourself to do that, It'll be better for your plants, uh, even your lawns. If you've got you know, a lawn that's down for the winter and it doesn't rain for sometimes a month or so where we live and more, uh, that extra one watering for the winter will make all the difference when that spring bloom, if you want to call it that, these springs start growing up for your, for your, for your grass or even your native plants. The only other thing I would mention, certain plants, are healthier and happier if they're mulched in the winter. 
It'll either bring some of them along. Esperanza is an idea that when you mulch it after it, it fades back and loses its leaves, it may keep those, those roots under there a few degrees warmer all winter. It'll hold the moisture more evenly, and it'll give the plant, when the springtime comes, uh, a little of a jump. You've even noticed where maybe your neighbors or you didn't do one side where you've had your plants all winter and you happen to water the other side and mulch it, and you're going to see a physical difference in those plants. So that's sort of a early winter, midwinter, hey, what are you going to do outside when it's a pretty day? Get out there and work in the garden. It'll make you feel better. And thanks for listening to Organic Matters here every Saturday from 9 to 10 o'clock. If you ever need me, it's natureapproved at yahoo.com. Natureapproved at yahoo. See you next week.